Okay, so last week we started on the doctrine of... I don't have it turned on, do I? All right. All good? Last week we started on a doctrine of soteriology, which comes from the Greek word soteria, meaning salvation. Someone tell me in your own words, without looking at your notes, what is initial salvation? Anybody? Right, right. It's also commonly called, you know, people say, well, when did you get saved? Do you want to ask them to that, brother? Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say complete surrender. Complete surrender. That's right. Complete surrender. Crazy? Being born again. Being born again. Yeah, that's what the other thing is, all the things it's called, being born again. Okay. Uh, someone tell me, in your own words, without looking at your notes, what is final salvation? John. When the Lord Jesus Christ uh, says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Okay. That's good. That's good. Yes. Amen. All right, someone tell me in their own words what probation is. The Very good. Anyone want to expound upon that? What else is it called? What, it's called what else would you call it besides a probation period? Abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ, okay. Crazy? Uh, betrothal period. Betrothal period, yeah, that's a good word for it, yeah. How about a testing period? Yeah. So. Okay, and last week we looked at uh, three specific Greek words when it comes to this doctrine of initial salvation. One was soteria. What does soteria mean when it's translated usually? What's it usually translated as? Salvation. Okay. What is uh, exozo usually translated as? Saved. Saved. And what about dekaio? Justification. Justification, that's right. Okay, so we used those three words last week, and we went through different scriptures that contain those words, and we saw how those words relate to the doctrine of the atonement, all the different words like that for that, and hopefully you got to see what initial salvation is. And then we examine ourselves regarding initial salvation. I'll go over a little bit more of that later on when we get to our examination of how we're doing during a probationary period. Today we're going to talk about, hopefully, about final salvation and probation today. Okay? And first, you can see your notes, we're going to start out with some scriptures on the probationary period. And what these scriptures are going to talk about are um, about enduring, about the life right now, person who's already experienced initial salvation. Now, if you haven't experienced initial salvation, you're not in the probationary period I'm referring to right now. Okay? Remember we went through that last time. All the different steps to know if you've actually had initial salvation or not. Uh, so let's start out with Matthew chapter 24, verses 12 and 13. Now, of course, there's lots of verses uh, that you could use for this doctrine. Uh, but this doctrine is a forgotten doctrine. And many of you may have heard of a guy named A.W. Tozer. A.W. stands for Aiden Wilson Tozer. He's one of my favorite Christian authors of all time. I've, read, I've probably read about 15 of his books. He's got lots of books out there. And if you are looking for a Christian book to read besides the scriptures and you have extra time that you're not going to take away from your reading of the scriptures, I would encourage you to pick up one of his books. Uh, read The Pursuit of God. Um, very good book on seeking after God. Uh, read The Knowledge of the Holy. 
which is a good, uh, you know, short exposition on the different characteristics of God. And uh, one of my favorite ones that he wrote is called Rut, Rot, or Revival. Rut, Rot, or Revival is a, is a good book. And you can find these books. They're pretty, pretty easy to find. Uh, from what I understand recently, the, the, the group that was publishing his books for a long time, they went bankrupt or something like that, but another group is picking it up. So you can still find his books pretty easily. Amazon.com would be the first place I look. Sometimes you can find used ones in almost, mint, almost new condition there for a cheap price. But he said that, um, this is a paraphrase, he said that um, a doctrine that's been long lost is a doctrine of probation. And someone who wants to revive this doctrine uh, better be ready to be called a heretic, is basically what he said. Okay, And this doctrine of probation is a very important doctrine. Of course, most of the world believes in once saved, always saved which is the opposite of this doctrine, okay? Uh, but the doctrine of once they've always saved and uh, losing your salvation will be talked about in a different foundation, but this definitely has relations to it. So Matthew 24, verses 12 through 13, is the first scripture reference I'm going to give you for number one. And this is Jesus, of course, talking about the end times here. That's, that's the context. And he says in verse 12, And because lawlessness will abound, will increase, the love of... Many, the Greek word means most, the greater part, will grow cold. So that there was a love that was hot, white hot, and it, the love of most grow cold, because lawlessness, sins abounding around them. Now, obviously, they're being sucked into the sin. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. See, it's a future tense salvation there, which is final salvation. But you must endure to the end to be saved. Not a matter of enduring for a period of time at the beginning and then you're good to go no matter what. You must endure to the end to be saved. Some people ask me this question, well, what about someone who lies right before they die? What happens to them? And they're trying to present a paradox to me as if I don't believe one sin could cost you your salvation, which I do. And um, they try to bring up a small sin or maybe a sin that's more prevalent. I'll say, well, what if you're driving down the road and you see this girl running by in a tight jogging off, and you lust after her, and then you get an accident. What happens to that person? And I think sometimes they're trying to present an, uh, a situation that maybe they've experienced themselves, and they're trying to put upon you that they think you've experienced often as well, which, of course, is not true. Um, but, of course, if you die in your sins, have you endured to the end? No, you have not. So, by definition, because you have not endured to the end, you shall not be saved. You must endure to the end to be shit, to be saved. If lawlessness is abounding and, and your love has grown cold because you're lusting, because you're lying, let's face it, we should be above and beyond those things. We want to greater things than that. We shouldn't even have time for sin. So he who endures to the end shall be saved. Second scripture is Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. It's the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But I read this this one verse here, or a couple of verses here. At verse 6 it says, And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose, all of them, all of them arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should be an, not be enough for us and you. 
but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready, who had their lamps full, went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So we need to watch, therefore. We need to pray. We need to be ready. And, of course, we're watching for the signs that he gives in Matthew 24. We're being ready for these things. And, and the word know there in, thir- in verse 13 is in the perfect tense. And what that means is, up to this point, no one has known the day or the hour. does not mean you will never know the day or the hour. Because, remember, we're watching for these signs which will reveal to us the day. Maybe not the hour, but the day. Okay? But the point of this passage, and why I'm bringing it up for the doctrine of probation, is you have to have your lamps full. You have to be full. You have to be ready at all times. And that's what this is talking about. It's talking about these people, these foolish birds, who are not prepared for him to return. Obviously, we know Christ is not going to return today, because we haven't seen many of the signs. But if he were to come today, would you be ready to meet him? Would you be ready to stand before him? It's a question to ask yourselves. Are you succeeding in this probationary period? Luke 13, verses 24 through 27. In verse 23, one of the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, are there few who are saved? And Jesus said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. But once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you, where you are from. Then you begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in, in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you, where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Now keep in mind here, in the last passage, and in this passage, it doesn't say, I never knew you. It says, I do not know you. So these are people who Jesus could have known at some point in time. They've known Jesus at some point. But one thing we need to get is that the initial salvation is not it. That's not it. That's not the end of it. Look, you need to strive to enter through the narrow gate. The Greek word there, which is your spot there underneath number three, is agonizomai. Agonizomai. And it would be transliterated A-G-O-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. Agonizomai. What English word do you think we get from that, John? Agony. Agonize. You're going to agonize. You're striving to enter through the gate. This is not, the Christian life is not an easy life. Anyone who thinks that's deluded. Agonizomai means to compete. To engage in a contest. To fight and struggle until the end. To exert with everything that is within you. To compete, to engage in a contest, to fight and struggle until the end. To exert with everything that is within you. 
That's what it's going to cost you. Everything that's within you to be a Christian, to, to persevere to the end. We have a very easy, very easy here in America. Uh, there's never been a point in time in my life where I've, I've been without water or food or clothing or shelter. Okay? Even when I was homeless, I could live in my car. And I had a hot dog a day. And I had access to water. Even in my rebellion to God, I was sleeping in the office at where I worked. I mean, I had a home to go home to, but I had shelter over my head. We have it very easy. And I'm telling you, saints, time's coming. It's going to get a lot worse. You bet, if you're not agonizing now, when that time's coming, guess what you're going to do? You're going to give up. If you're not agonizing now, you're going to give up when that time comes. You're going to fall by the wayside. You're going to strive to enter in, but you're not going to strive hard enough. You'll seek to enter in, and you won't be able to. Acts 14, verses 21 and 22. Paul just came back from a mission trip. And now he's going back to check on the saints of God. Who he just, maybe he just saw saved or just got converted. It says in verse 21 of Acts 14, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, talking about Derby. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. That's our probationary period in a nutshell right there. Many tribulations to enter the kingdom. Romans chapter 2. Verses 5 through 10. This is a passage that I've been memorizing lately. I think it's a good passage to memorize. Let's see if you're preaching in the open air. I start in verse 4. But we'll, when I, I'll start from verse 4 and, and end in verse 11. It says, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitence, your unrepentant heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish in every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also to the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. So you see this in verse 7, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Now is that... That obviously could not be talking about initial salvation because God isn't expecting you to do a certain amount of good for a certain amount of time before he says, okay, you're justified. You're saved. It's not the way it works. But if you're going to reach the end, if you're going to finish the race and cross the line and get that, you know, that checkered flag, as they do in races, you're going to have to, by patient continuance and doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish, and every soul of man is evil. 
And one of us, we're either in the, of the Jews or of the Gentiles there, of the Greeks. So we're, we're including that. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good. That's not referring to initial salvation, but final salvation. You must work what is good. And Paul's not preaching at work salvation here. Okay? He's saying, but to have eternal life, you must work what is good. Okay? Romans 6, 6 through 8. This is one of our new memory verses in our household for our children. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed or cleared from sin. Okay, so that's that's the part we talked about last week. But verse 8 is obviously talking about final salvation. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. It's future tense. We shall also live with him. But there must be this dying with Christ. And that includes the old man dying, the old way of living dying. It's been crucified. It's on the cross. It's dead. It's done away with. It's been rendered inoperative. As Brother Kevin said last week, it's been put out of business. It's bankrupt. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. We should no longer commit sin. For he who has died has been freed or cleared from sin. So you see in Romans 6, 6 to 8. What's your question, son? Oh, you didn't get one. Okay. Sorry about that. We're on number seven now, okay? Romans 6.22. But now, having been set free from sin... I'll go back up to verse verses 6 through 7 there. What does set free from sin means? Nor committing sin... And having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. And what's the end of that? Everlasting life. So the end of your fruit of holiness is everlasting life. Now the fruit of holiness is, is not something you have, like you have to continue in a certain amount of holiness for a certain period of time before God justifies you, before you're saved. But it's proving your faith to be true. This faith you initially had, where God gave you his Holy Spirit. Where God said, you are saved, you are forgiven, you are cleansed. Now you're proving it by the fruit of holiness. You're proving your faith to be true. As James 2, 19-20 says, that's not one of the ones I'm going to give you though. Uh, James 2, 19-20 says, you believe that there is one God, you do well, but even demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, a foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Okay, That's not one of the verses from the piece of paper though. Okay? Uh, the next verse I uh, have for you is Romans eight twelve through 13. But faith without works is dead. So there must be a fruit of holiness to prove that your faith is still alive. They still have the right, the right kind of faith that you initially had. You don't have to keep that kind of faith if you don't want to. Verse 12, therefore, brethren, who is he writing to? Brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, who? Brethren, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's a death that can be had by you. Even though you've experienced an initial salvation, there's a death that can be had by you. You need not to experience that death. You need to continue in life by putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. 
those of us who attempt to grow things in the ground, we know that uh, when you sow a seed, you're expecting to reap some kind of harvest. And depending on how you sow and what you sow, it's going to depend upon what you get out of it. And verse 7 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So what do you have to do to reach everlasting life? Sow to the Spirit. You must sow to the Spirit to reap everlasting life. That's final salvation. But it's talking about the probationary period here. You must be sowing the right things to get the right result, the right fruit, the right plants. Otherwise, you won't have the right ending. Next verse, Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap, if we do not lose heart. If we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart, friends. Lawlessness, God promises in his word, lawlessness will abound, sin will increase, the world will get worse and worse. Do not lose heart. Because if you uh, continue to do good and do not grow weary in due season, you shall reap. You shall reap. Philippians chapter 2. This is probably one of my favorite verses for this. Philippians 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Wait a minute. They've always obeyed? Not only when he's there, but when he's gone? Man, I was a work salvationist, I'll tell you. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Wait a minute now. They already have salvation. What do they need to work out? They need to work it out with fear and trembling. Now they're working out their final salvation. They're trying to persevere to the end. They're striving. They're agonizing. They're making sure that old man stays dead. The body of sin maybe stay away. They're making sure they don't go back to being slaves of sin, but rather stay slaves to God and righteousness. That's what they're doing. First, First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16. This is Paul talking to Timothy, who is an elder, a pastor of a church. He says to, to him, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing so, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now, was Timothy already saved if he's a bishop of a church? So how is he going to save himself? He's going to keep himself in the faith by following proper doctrine. Continuing in it, not only for himself, but for others as well. For others as well. If someone ever gives you a doctrine that excuses sin at all, you better run from them for your life. Literally, for your eternal life. Because you end up obeying them, guess what? The opposite of this is true. Continuing it, for in doing so, you will damn your, both yourself and those who hear you. That's the opposite is true. If anyone ever tells you a sin-excusing doctrine, run away from them. Have nothing to do with them. They're not a brother. They're not a sister. Hebrews chapter 6. Now, verses 4 through 6 are some pretty scary verses, but we're not going to read there, but that's the context here. Verse 11 and 12. 
of this whole book of Hebrews talking to these Jewish people who are considering departing from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and going back to the old sacrificial system because they're enduring persecution and all kinds of things for being Jewish people who are no longer allowed in the synagogues, being kicked out of synagogues. Uh, they're, they're suffering quite a bit for, for the word of God and for Jesus. In fact, let me just start in verse 9. Beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. And you read verses 4 through 8 if you want to see what he's talking about there. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name. So they've shown love and labor towards his name. And that you have ministered to the saints and do minister to the saints. So these are people who are ministering to the saints. They're not just backsliders who are living in ungodliness. And we desire to each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. So they don't have the full assurance of hope yet. Why? Because they have not reached the end yet. That you do not become sluggish or lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So what do you need to inherit the promises? Faith and patience. You need to imitate those who have that same faith and patience. You do not become lazy or sluggish in your spirituality and go back to sins. Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 35 through 39. And we see in verses 32 through 34 the struggle they went through, the sufferings they went through, reproaches, tribulations, chains, the plundering of their goods. And verse 35 says, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise for yet a little while. And he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. To the saving of the soul. But they need endurance. And you need endurance. So once you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. What's the promise? The promise of everlasting life. The promise of his kingdom. The promise, the promise of, his, of an inheritance with him in his kingdom. And the promise of being with him for all eternity. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. And uh, I only gave one line for this, because it's all basically the same thing. I'm going to go through what Jesus said at the end of his discussion to all the seven churches found in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. So the first one is Revelation 2, 7, which says, remember he's talking to churches here, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat of the, from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So what must you do? You must overcome. Many things to overcome. Suffering, tribulation, anguish, loss of earthly goods, loss of family members and friends. I'm in danger of that. I am. I'm going to go talk to them soon. My cousin commits suicide. He takes his own life. I have to go talk to them soon. Again. And uh, I'm going to be in danger of that soon. But that's a cost you got to count. No. But he must be an overcomer. 
overcomer of sin. Uh, Revelation 10-11 Do not fear any of those things that you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And you'll have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. We know the second death is the second resurrection. And all the saints are risen at the first resurrection. So he's talking to these people in the church here, and there's a possibility they could be hurt by the second death if they don't overcome, which means they'll no longer be a believer, which means they're going to be risen at the second resurrection instead. 2 and verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him some of the hidden manna to eat, and I'll give him a white stone. Now on that stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. And white stone is symbolic of a pardoned person or someone who's been declared innocent. Chapter 2 and verse 25. But hold fast what you have until I come. Verse 26. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end to him I will give power over the nations. And I will give him the morning star. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Alright, chapter 3 and verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess him before my Father and before his angels. So, if you don't overcome, your name can be blocked out of the book of life. And Christ will not confess you before his Father and before the holy angels. Chapter 3 and verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in a temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Then down in verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. So we see what Jesus says to the seven churches. Revelation 21.7 is the next spot. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And then once again in Revelation twenty-two fourteen, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they might have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter through the gates into the city. Well, the opposite, if you don't do the commandments of God, you don't have the right to the tree of life, and you won't enter through the gates into the city. You'll be like those who are outside, the dogs, the sorcerers, sexually immoral, Murder and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. The words of Jesus. And then we have your next spot. There should be the word there. Soldier. Uh, the Greek word is sustra tiates. I'll spell that for you. S-U-S-T-R-A-T-I-O-T-E-S. 
Sustra Tiates. And that Greek word means a fellow struggler or striver. A fellow agonizer. Philippians 2.25 is one, is one occurrence where we see this word soldier here. We're soldiers in God's army. Philippians 2.25 Yet I consider it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. So Epaphroditus was a fellow soldier of God, a fellow worker of God. And then we see in 2 Timothy 2.3. Paul says, you must, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. They may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. They want to please him who enlisted us. Jesus Christ. Philemon 2. No chapters in Philemon. Philemon 2. To the beloved Apphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. So we want to be fellow soldiers with Paul, fellow soldiers of the Christians. And we want to endure good hardship as a soldier of Jesus Christ. And the next word there, it would be run. This Greek word trecho, T-R-E-C-H-O. T-R-E-C-H-O, trecho. It means to advance, to exert oneself. So there's struggling, there's agonizing, there's striving, there's advancing, there's exertion. Taking all our spiritual energy, and we go back to the living water to, to fill our energy up again so we may continue in this race. Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself that I may finish my race with joy and a ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In verse 26 he says, Therefore I testify to you this day I am innocent of the blood of all, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So the people he was talking to, these Ephesian elders he was talking to, he said, I have not shunned, my, my, blood, my hands are free from your blood. From all of you, I have not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God to you. That's what he says. First Corinthians nine, twenty-four through twenty-seven. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And therefore, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate, is self-controlled, is self-disciplined in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself become disqualified. And I see Paul's even saying, listen, I preach to you, but I could become disqualified from the race. How do you get disqualified from races? Breaking the rules. Cheating. 
going off the track, right? Going off the track. And he's he's there's a great comparison here. I mean, he, back in his days, talking about the Olympians, and they would they would literally engage to to get a a leaf crown, which would literally fade away. I mean, you've seen the leaves when they fall from trees. What happens to them? They perish. I mean, literally within days. But even the athletes today, they they go for the gold medals or for the, the trophies. And some sports, like in, in hockey, the trophy gets taken away every year. You don't even get to keep it. It's called the Stanley Cup, and they add to it every year. And gets taken. You only get. The, I mean, you get to keep it for a couple of days or a week, I think, during the off season. Each player, and they take it everywhere they go, go on a talk show or something like that. You know, some sports you might get to keep a trophy or a medal. But even the Bible says moth and rust will destroy such things. And thieves will break in and steal such things. And you know what athletes most most times do? They go broke because they don't manage their finances properly. They make millions of dollars and they sell it on eBay. They sell it at an auction. It's worthless. But we, you know, if, if they do work so hard, pumping weights, getting trained, getting in shape, coming back from these serious injuries way ahead of schedule, you know, to get the glories and the praise of men. They're doing all that for a sure. I mean, What's the average life the average span for a football player? Eight years, brother? Six years, maybe? Three years. For a basketball player, maybe fifteen years if he gets there. We're we're doing it for eternal life. If they're doing that for those frivolous little things that are gonna fade away and perish, what should we do for the imperishable crown that God will give us? Shouldn't we beat our bodies and bring in them subjection that we that lest when we have preached to others we become disqualified? We have a greater crown. We have a greater responsibility. And if these athletes, they should not put us to shame. Their, their physical discipline, their physical activity should not put our spiritual activity to shame. It should not. The question is, does it? Galatians 5, 7. Paul said, you ran well. Mm. You ran well, past tense. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Could that be said about you? You ran well? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? I hope not. 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Notice Paul is saying that he did these things. Not saying God did them for him. He did these things. Not to bring glory to himself. He realizes he deserves no glory. He realizes he deserves no credit for his salvation. But he fought the good fight. He finished the race and he kept the faith. Can, can, if you were to end right now, say you had a heart attack, it's over. Could you say this? Can you say, I have, fought the, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith? Even if it's only been for a couple of years, could you say that about yourself? Ask yourself that question, friends. We know Christ is, I mean, I'm not going to use the, the, you know, the analogy that Christ can come back at any time, because I don't believe that. I don't think that's biblically true. But you could die at any time. Could you say this? Paul knew, Paul knew he isn't saying here that Christ is about to return. He's saying he's about to die. He knows he's to the end. Hebrews 12.1. 
just got through talking about Hebrews 11, the hall of faith that is is usually called. And that's why it starts with, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Lay aside every weight. I imagine myself trying to run with my 40-pound weight vest or 20-pound weight vest and then taking it off. So much different. So much different. Is there any weight on you that's keeping you back? That's holding you down? Do you have a weight vest on that's slowing you down? You need to throw it off. You need to throw it off. And sin does easily ensnare. Don't let it ensnare you. And let us run the race with endurance. This race is set before us. Okay, let's move on to scriptures for final salvation. Mark eight thirty four through thirty eight. It's the first one. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples, also he said to them, "He's talking to a whole group of people here, not just his disciples, who are desired to come after me." Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, an adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, will also, also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So we see one of the main sources of suffering for the Christian is opening his mouth for Jesus, or opening her mouth for Jesus. And keeping your mouth shut for Jesus, which is not really doing it for Jesus anyway, but keeping your mouth shut concerning Jesus and his gospel, um, you won't lose your life. You'll save it. You'll preserve it. It's a source of much suffering. And it shows maybe you're ashamed of him and his words. Are you willing to speak up for Jesus? Are you willing to lay on your life, not only for Jesus, but for his gospel? Now, could it be said about you right now? Would there be enough evidence right now to convict you in a trial that you laid your life down for the gospel? Not just for Jesus. I'm not just talking about someone coming to you and putting a gun to your head and says, Deny Jesus or die! I'm talking about in your life right now, in your everyday life. Are you laying your life down for the gospel? Are you allowing the words of the gospel to come out of your mouth to other people, no matter what it costs you? Because it will cost you something. It's the cause of much suffering for me. And in fact, it's probably one of the only causes of suffering in my life. Me living a holy life does not cause me suffering. People wouldn't mind that. Me uh, being a good father or a good husband does not cause me much suffering. It sometimes gives me the praises of men. Uh, me reading my Bible at my house, being in my prayer class doesn't cost me, doesn't uh, bring much suffering into my life, if any at all. But I'll tell you what, going out into all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature causes me much suffering from people I don't even know. And sometimes from people I do know. So are you, I mean, people say all the time, yeah, if someone put a gun in my head, I, I wouldn't deny Jesus. 
But are you denying Jesus in your everyday life by not speaking up for him? By not telling people the truth? I mean, it's as easy as handing out a gospel track. It's that easy. It's not a hard thing to do. It doesn't take much. Luke 21 and verse 28. Jesus was talking about partially, part of this, Luke 21 is talking about AD 70, part of it is talking about the end times. But in this part, he's talking about the end times, you see in verse 25, he gives, talks about the sixth seal there, he talks about which is found in Revelation chapter 6. And then in verse 28, he says, Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. So we talked about redemption, means being set free, being loosed, being rescued, being redeemed. We talked about what that means. We talked about the atonement. And that does happen, that conversion, to some degree. But it's also redemption that we're looking for. A redemption that will draw near when all these things happen. The signs and the sun, the moon, the stars. At the very end, redemption is coming as well. So we see that's a scripture. Go back to mine. Verses 43 through 48. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire which will never life. Maimed. Final you to sin out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire where the worm does not die and fire is not quenched. So we see enter into life twice and enter the kingdom of God once. It's all synonymous there. Talking about the end. This is talking about during your life now. You've already become a Christian. If you find your eyes cause you sin, take serious measures to make sure past tense, through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, past tense, we shall be saved, future, by his life. And not only that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have now received the reconciliation. So you see, final salvation and initial salvation several times in
fruits of the Spirit, initial salvation, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption. We're waiting for the adoption. That's final salvation. The redemption of our body. Final salvation. For we are saved in this hope. Now watch how he defines hope. We're saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So they're eagerly waiting for that final salvation with perseverance. They're hoping for it. They have not seen it yet, but they're hoping for it. The same way that Abraham hoped for the promise of God he met in his life, although he never stayed in the promised land, never received the promises, his descendants received it. And literally, his one descendant, his seed, will receive it. Because he's the only one that met the conditions of completely obeying God. Romans 13, 11. And we'll go through verse 14. And in this scripture, we'll see final salvation and probation in the same, in these four verses. And do this, that means, that is, love your neighbor as yourself. Go back to the, the, uh, the three verses before this. And do this, knowing the time, that now is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. So the salvation they got when they first believed, but the salvation is nearer than when they first believed. That night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light, let us walk properly, as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Make no provision. Are you making any provision in your life for the lust of the flesh? To examine yourselves. You know, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken us except us as common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow us to be tempted beyond we're able. But with the temptation would always make a way of escape. We may be able to bear. But sometimes, friends, we can put ourselves in places where God did not lead us, where God did not put us, and the temptation does become too much then because the way out was not going there in the first place. And that's why it says, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Well, the way out at that point in time was to repent and go back even if you've already attempted to go to those places or wherever it is. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. This also has initial and final salvation. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also trusted, past tense, after you heard the word of truth, past tense, the gospel of your salvation. And him also, having believed, past tense, you were sealed, past tense, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of, the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So the, there's a redemption of the purchased possession that's to come. We were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your lives. But there's a, there's a purchase that's coming. The, the, fulfill, the fulfillment of the purchase. And we know that the guarantee, that the word guarantee, down payment or earnest. That's what the Holy Spirit is. It's a down payment or earnest upon you because you believe the gospel, you trusted the gospel of your salvation that you heard. That's a little bit of a down payment from God. Puts it in there. 
doesn't mean you're guaranteed to get to heaven. It's a little guarantee, a little deposit he put in you. He said, look, this is what's to come if you make it to the end. This is what's to come. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. For concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes the thief in the night. Now let's see who it comes as the thief in the night for. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness, so this day should overtake you as a thief. You're all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Hope earlier? Something you have not seen? Something you're eagerly waiting for with perseverance. Now he talks about the helmet as the hope of a point. But to obtain salvation. So they haven't obtained it yet. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. That whatever, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, edify one another just as you also are doing. Second Timothy 4. 7 through 8. Now, we just read verse 7 a second ago, but I want to read verse 8 now. 7, he's talking about throughout the period. I fought the good Do you love his appearing? You know, Titus 2, 11 to 14, we always quote the first couple verses there, verses 11 and 12, but verses 13 and 14 talk about how we're looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus 3, 4 through 7. And we'll see initial and final salvation here, too. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, past tense, through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Well, you should become heirs. If you've been justified by God, by His grace, and He's prepared you with the washing of the Holy Spirit, you become an heir of eternal life. You should. But you're not guaranteed. 1 Peter 1 9. And you can read uh, verses 6 through 8 if you'd like, but verse 9 simply just says, 
receiving. Actually, let me start in verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Oh, salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And of course, we are kept by the power of God through faith. So it's not like God forcing us to be kept. It's through faith that we're kept by the power of God. And this you greatly rejoice. So now for a little while, if need be, you have been freed by various trials. But the genuineness of your faith, ah, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, though tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you the joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So there's an end of your faith. Salvation to be revealed in the last time. Jude, verse 20 and 21. This should be the last one on your list there. Jude 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So we're looking for the mercy unto eternal life, which means they have not received it yet. When someone says, well, are you telling me that you have to keep yourself saved? Well, the Bible says keep yourself in the love of God, doesn't it? But I thought, no one, nothing can separate us from the love of God, Romans chapter 8. Neither angel, nor life, nor death. Right? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Okay, so we've seen um, scriptures on the probationary period. We've seen scriptures on final salvation. Hopefully you can see it's abundantly clear that the Bible teaches these things. That's been my point in giving you all these verses to, to show you. Listen, what I'm saying is backed up by the scriptures. I'm not making this up. There's a future salvation. There's there's a initial salvation. There's things you must do in between to ensure you make it to the end. That you must do to ensure you make it to the end. So how do you know you're doing well during probation? How do you know if you're ready to die or ready for Christ to return? So let's go with number one. But before we get to number one, you must meet letter A. Which is everything from last week. You you must have experienced initial salvation. You must have had true repentance at one point in time, which is forsaking all as Brother Roger said before, surrendering all your life to him. <laughs> I've experienced the born again experience where the Holy Spirit comes in and lives inside of you and testifies within you that you're a child of God. This is not I can convince you of. You'll just know it. You'll know if you've been born again or not. You have to have experienced life transformation after that. If anyone is in Christ, the new creature, all the old things have passed away. Behold, all has become new. You must have had the right motives for coming. Not simply to escape some flames or go to the streets of gold instead of the bad place. Not simply to have a, uh, you know, get out of jail free or get out of hell free card. But because you want to love God. And lastly, you need to get baptized. If you haven't been baptized, you need to get baptized. That's what God requires of you to do. So if you haven't been through all that, if you're not meeting the qualifications of last week, then this is not going to mean much to you. Because you haven't experienced initial salvation. Number one, are you living holy? Are you keeping God's commandments? You know, are you living a life of victory over sin? 
You know, not, not that it's impossible for you to sin, but it's possible for you not to sin, that if you sin, you repent right away, and you're striving longer. Are you living a holy life? You know, 1 John 2, 3-4, Now by this we know that we know him. Most of you know this. If we keep his commandments. He that says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, we can quote that in the open air, but you need to examine yourselves about that to see if you're, you need to apply it to yourself. First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5, and 7 through 8. Now, this is the will of morality. In honor, not in. Spirit. That's First Thessalonians chapter four, which is three through five and seven through eight. First Corinthians seven nineteen. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commands of God is what matters. First Corinthians seven nineteen. Third John eleven. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God. He who does evil has not seen God. So point one, are you living holy? This is how you know whether you're doing well during this probationary period. Number two, are you reading, studying, and memorizing his word? Are you reading, studying, and memorizing his word? Now, what you're, what you're memorizing may be different than someone else. Maybe you're memorizing for verses of preaching in the open air. Maybe, maybe you're memorizing for things that you know have had a foothold on you in the past, and you get tempted in a lot. Maybe you get tempted to be impatient with your children. Well, read, memorize 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Yeah, the love chapter. Love is long suffering. First thing it says. Maybe you're uh, struggling with something else. And when I say struggle, I don't mean you're giving into it over and over. I mean that you're being tempted by it severely. And you're having to resist it. If the, if the Bible really is God's word as we say it is, you know, shouldn't we be reading it, studying it, and memorizing it as much as we possibly can? Verse 17 says, man stay pure by living according to your word. I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Matthew 4.4, 4, Jesus speaking, man cannot live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's when the devil is trying to eat some bread, turn a rock into bread. He said, I'm living by God's word right now, not by bread. His old uh, saying that I've heard someone say before, I think it was a uh, great comfort who said this. He said, uh, read before read. Belly, there you go. Read before feed, Bible before belly. And if you'll get to that throughout your life, then you make sure you're reading before you're eating in the morning. And you'll get up earlier if you want to eat food. You'll make sure of it. 
just like Matthew 4, 4 says, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Number three, do you have a prayer life? Do you have a prayer life? Let me make it clear, I'm not talking about uh, times of corporate prayer with your family, praying before you go to bed or before meals or or praying, you know, here as a fellowship. I'm talking about your individual times of prayer. I'm talking about your times in your prayer closet that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 6. He says in Matthew 6 and verse 6, But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Go into your secret place and pray. It may be a literal closet. It may be just being in your bedroom by yourself, without your spouse around, without your children around. Maybe you're already by yourself all the time. And it just means getting all the distractions out of the way. It may just mean that. John 17.3, Jesus said, This is eternal life, knowing God the Father and the one he has sent. But listen, if you never spend time with God the Father or the one he has sent alone, what kind of relationship do you have? What kind of eternal life do you really have? If that never happens. I mean, let's, I mean, we all get busy. We all have busy lives. I mean, being a pastor, an evangelist, um, a father of six, husband of one, a graphic designer, I stay pretty busy. I think I can probably make up just about as many excuses to not get in the Word of God and prayer as anyone else in this fellowship. But we've got to do it. And I'll tell you, when I look back over my last 16 and a half years, the times when I was uh, going back to my sin was when I wasn't in prayer enough. I wasn't getting in prayer. I wasn't getting in the Word. So that's that's the problem. That's what that's what happens when you fail in these things, and you're not going to be doing good during the probation period if you're not engaging in these things. Number four, evangelism. Do you care about the fate of the lost? I know we probably all would answer yes to that question. I mean, I don't think I don't think anyone here would say no to that question unless they're just trying to be honest with themselves. The question is, how do you show it? You know, do you carry gospel tracts with you everywhere you go? And listen, if, if you if you really just can't afford it, I'll give you some. Seriously, if you if you just can't afford it, if it really that is the situation, I'll just give you some. Just tell me, and I'll give you some. Okay. Um, and if you do carry them with you, where go? Do you actually pass them out, or they just sit there in your pocket? When was the last time you went on an outreach? I mean, you did out just to do outreach. for a stranger about the gospel. Matthew 10, 24-27, Jesus says, The disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. 
Let's stop right there. What was Jesus? How often was Jesus evangelizing? He said, come follow me and I will make you a Bible reader. Come follow me and I'll make you a uh, prayer warrior. Well, this one might be true too, but come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Yeah, are you fishing for men? Chapter 10, Matthew. If they called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more were they called those of his own household? Now, if you don't actually go out and stand up for righteousness, you'll probably never be called names. Not at this point in time, anyway. You won't be called Beelzebub, that's for sure. How much more were they called those of his own household? Because you know, you know what one of the, the main cause of Jesus' suffering was? Was him speaking up. You think he went to temple courts and just kept his mouth shut? Didn't tell him they were hit and brood of you think he would have endured suffering? You think he would have been killed? No. Because I like to pray. But words of it that his works are... did that. That should be the result of the first, the first three. Is number four. Bam. If someone's living holy and they're reading and memorizing his word and they're, they're getting in it and they have a prayer life, but they don't evangelize, I have to wonder who they're talking to. I have to wonder who they're spending time with. I have to wonder, uh, you know, what Bible they're reading. That's what the Bible's all about. God's a missionary God. He's an evangelist God. He wants the whole world to be saved, but how are they going to be, how can they believe in the one they're not heard? How can I hear without a preacher? So are you evangelizing? Number five. What are you doing with your free time? Now your free time may be less than it used to be. Or maybe sometimes you think you have less free time than you actually do. But things that don't matter. I have a question for you. A whole week. No responsibility for work. You get paid while you're taking this vacation day off, this week off. No school. No responsibilities at all. No feeding animals, nothing. If you're given a whole week off, what would you do with it? That'll tell you a lot about yourself. Answer that question first. That'll tell you a lot about yourself. What will you do with that whole week off? What would you spend your time doing? Would it be entertaining yourself? Would it be playing games? Home with the mission strip, Evangelize. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. See then that you circumspectly, not as fools, redeeming the time. For the days are evil. Redeeming the time. For the days are evil. James 4.14 Your life is a vapor that appears for a little time, then vanishes away. And as I was worshiping this morning, the Lord gave me another one that's not on your notes, but number six. Do you love the fellowship of the brethren? 
You know, I used to believe in follow-up with a new convert that went something like this. You coming to church this week? 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 You coming to Bible study? Coming to prayer meeting? Begging them to come, basically. Well, what I realized... has the life of God in them, they have the love of the brethren in them. 1 John 3, 16 through 19. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. Talking about Jesus. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. The love of the brethren is, is shown through how you, I mean, whether you're doing well in this probationary period is shown by how you love the brethren. Do you want to take care of the brethren? If you have goods, would you want to give it to them if they didn't have it themselves? Even if it cost you something? Do you want to, would you lay down your life for the brethren? Man, if you can't stand to spend a couple hours with them, how could you say you'd lay your life down for them? Not much of a relationship there, right? There must be a love for the brethren. How can you say you love him who you, uh, who you don't see if you won't love him who you do see? Okay, so are you living holy? Well, first of all, did you meet the requirements of initial salvation last week? That's A. Are you living holy? Number one. All right. Number two, are you reading, studying, and memorizing his word? Number three, do you have a life? Number four, what do you do with your free time? And number six, do you have a love of the brethren? Do you love the fellowship of the brethren? If you are doing these things well, it's not saying you couldn't fail in these things, or if you are failing in these things, that you can't repent and begin to walk in these things again like you should. But these, I mean, I could say many other things, but these things right here, I think, give us a foundation for, for walking forward, for continuing on this testing period, this probationary period, and staying on the narrow road. Striving in that way, agonizing in that way, running the race, being a good soldier in this fight. And if you're doing these things, then I'm convinced that uh, you are doing well. I'm convinced that when Christ does return, or if you were to die suddenly, that you would be ready. You know, recently, um, my cousin killed himself, as you as you know. He, uh, you know, he'd threatened this many times in his life, which I had no idea about. If I knew about this, I would have stepped up my efforts to reach him. That's for sure. Um, but the fact is, not only do we not know when we're going to die, we don't know when anyone's going to die. And um, so we need to be ready at all times. We really do. And we need to be doing well in a probationary period. We can't uh, not meet the requirements that God has set up before us and fail and be in danger of going back to that jail cell. Be in danger of going back to God's, or going to God's jail cell for good, where there is no parole. There is no probation anymore. Okay, open the... Uh, for questions, or Bill John? No, I just gave. Yeah.
No, I just gave First John three, sixteen through nineteen. That's it. Yeah, so first John three, sixteen nineteen is the only scriptures I gave for that one. Yeah. Uh, going back to the scripture of probationary period and uh and this is kind of a, a tangent here, but I wanted to just briefly ask you about the ten days in Revelation two. I'm sorry. I wanted to ask you about the uh ten days in Revelation two, uh, ten to eleven. Mm-hmm. Well that's only referring to that one church. Yeah, it's a good, because uh, in, Revelation, in Romans 2, 4 through 11, uh, what you see there, the impartiality he's talking about there is between Jews and Gentiles. Because Jews have this idea they're special people, and therefore God's going to be give them a special kind of judgment because they're his people. That's kind of the way the Calvinists think, that they're the elect people of God, God chosen from eternity past, and uh, they, they, they foolishly think that God chose them. And now God did choose the Jewish people, where they had no choice. He chose Abraham. He chose Isaac instead of Ishmael. He chose Jacob instead of Esau. He chose Israel. He chose them. And there was no choice of their own to be the chosen people of God. Of course, that doesn't guarantee them eternal life. But they thought that in their mind. It's obvious as Paul is constantly refuting that in Romans and Galatians and Ephesians. Constantly refuting these things. Refuting the, the preeminence given to the law of Moses. Which we'll probably talk more about a couple weeks from now. But, um, yeah, so I, it, it doesn't. That's that's the answer. It obviously does not. It couldn't possibly. I, you know, there's lots of scriptures that obviously refute imputation besides, you know, the ones that refute as we saw recently.